and everyone. Uh, good morning, Gate family, and good morning to everyone that's watching today. And uh, it's just such a privilege to be with you in your living rooms and wherever you're watching this this morning. And um, I pray that you're just staying strong in the Lord during this time of us not being able to gather together. We're feeling a real stirring in our spirit right now for what the Lord's getting ready to do. And uh, just, just so excited about what's going to happen today. I'm excited to share just some fresh word with you. And uh, just so thankful for the time of worship that we just had. I was so blessed with an incredible worship team here. Um, the presence of the Lord is just so thick every time they lead. And so uh, let's just do this. Before we go any farther, let's just welcome the presence of the Lord on this. And so, Lord, we welcome you here. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are near. We thank you that you are with us this morning. I thank you, Father, for the overflowing joy that I feel is going to be released this morning in this message, God. Lord, I pray that wherever we are, wherever we are watching, wherever we are connecting with this video, that, Father, that you would meet them there and that, Lord, that you would show up strong, God. I feel just a fresh fire in my spirit today. And Lord, I pray that there would be an impartation this morning of that fire, God. And so Holy Spirit, we love you and we expect signs, wonders, and miracles this morning and for you to show up in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I jump into my sermon, uh, I get to first have the privilege of taking up the offering this morning. And I wanted to read a passage from Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And it says, in the city of Jericho, there lived a very wealthy man named Zacchaeus, who was the supervisor over all the tax collectors. As you can imagine, Zacchaeus was not popular. As Jesus made his way through the city, Zacchaeus was eager to see Jesus. He kept trying to look at him, but the crowd around Jesus was massive. Zacchaeus was a very short man and couldn't see over the heads of the people. So he ran ahead, everyone, and climbed up a blossoming fig tree so that he could get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. When Jesus got down to the place, he looked up the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I am appointed to stay at your house today. So he came down the tree and he came face to face with Jesus. I want you to catch that. It says, Zacchaeus came down the tree and he came face to face with Jesus. As Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, look at this, of all the people to have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook. I don't know about you, but this absolutely just makes me fall all the more in love with Jesus, that he loves to go and sit at the tables of people that no one else likes. Verse 8, Zacchaeus joyously welcomed Jesus and was amazed over his gracious visit to his home. And Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, Half of all that I own, I will give to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated anyone, I promise to pay back four times as much as I stole. Jesus said to him, this shows today that life has come to you and to your household, for you are a true son of Abraham. The son of man has come to seek and to give life to those who are lost. I want you to notice just a couple things in this passage really quickly. First, I want you to see that Zacchaeus was a man of passion. Zacchaeus was, was passionately in a pursuit to see Jesus. Matter of fact, that's actually what I'm gonna talk about in my message today, and, and we'll get there in just a minute. But Zacchaeus was passionately pursuing Jesus to the point where he climbed up a tree, and he found himself up a tree. I want you to notice that Jesus valued Zacchaeus. 
Jesus did not worry about what everyone else thought about Zacchaeus. Jesus was not concerned about what other thought, people thought about him because of how he saw Zacchaeus. Jesus had a value for Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus had anything to give him. And I want you to notice that when Zacchaeus came down the, the tree, it said he came face to face with Jesus. I feel like in my spirit, there's something that happened in that moment when he came face to face with Jesus. And so you heard the story, he, he, he came over to Zacchaeus' house and I want you to notice that Zacchaeus was a person who was filled with greed. He was extremely just uh, greedy and was all about what he could get. But I want you to notice what was the breakthrough in Zacchaeus' life was that his breakthrough was actually in generosity. And so often, that's how the kingdom of God works. It's all, it all feels backward to us, the kingdom. Those who, uh, those who are thirsty, you know, it says he'll fill them, but it's almost like the more I eat, the more I drink, the more thirsty I get, the more hungry I get. And the kingdom of God doesn't always make sense, but the very thing that actually was the breakthrough for Zacchaeus, a greedy person, was generosity. And Jesus made an interesting statement. He said, Zacchaeus, the proof of life in you is your generosity. I want you to think about that today. This is an awesome privilege that we have every week to give to the Lord. I want you to just let those words soak for a moment. The Lord told Zacchaeus, he said, listen, the proof of life in you is that you're generous. Why is that important? Because the son of man came to give. Now Zacchaeus began to look like his dad. What an opportunity to begin to look like dad. How do we begin to look like dad? There's so many things that we get to do that we just see the reflection more that, oh, I look like my dad. One of them is giving. So this morning, we're gonna give our offerings to the Lord from all over the place. I wanna thank you all for continuing just in this season of not being here. It has blessed me so much that I've seen that this is a generous house, that we don't have to be in the same room to be dedicated to give to the Lord. And so, Father, I thank you for those that are giving this morning, I think, and I pray just blessings over them. I pray tremendous favor and prosperity over their house, Lord, and as they begin to give to you, Lord, may they just be a clear representation of you, just like Zacchaeus was. He said there's proof of life in your giving. Lord, may we be a people that we, when folks see us, they see life because we're givers just like you. We honor you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I've got something uh, I'm very excited to share with you all, and uh, we'll see how long it takes to get through this topic. And let me just say, first of all, I miss you guys. Uh, those are you that are, that are a part of the gate. I cannot possibly express how much we miss you guys. We are, um, we've been in this stay-at-home order for a little while now, and every week my heart just longs for the time where we can get together and be together with our family in this, in this room. Matter of fact, this week we brought it back into the sanctuary. We feel like there's something transitioning in the spirit. I feel soon we will all be together again. But I can't wait just to be with you guys again. And so um, our hearts are together. We're connected. I pray that you're still getting involved in different uh, community groups online and staying connected to the body of Christ. But this morning, I'd like to talk with you about one of my favorite stories and one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And it's about, um, well, let's just jump in. It's in Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles or your iPhones or your iPads or whatever you read your Bible on, do me a favor and open up to Luke chapter 24. And uh, 
We're going to talk a little bit about the road to Emmaus, one of the most interesting, fun scriptures um, in the Bible. And we're going to start on verse 13, and it says, Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, speaking of two disciples of Jesus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, let, me, let me just say this before I read any farther in case you're not familiar with this story. At this point, this is, the, this is uh, after Jesus has died. This has uh, been crucified. This is also after he has risen, but he's not appeared to any of his disciples yet. And so now we've got a couple of disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus, and that's where this story picks up. Verse 14 says, They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They were... Um, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I want you to notice that, that they were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, they were saddened, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days. <laughs> what things, he asked. I don't know if you noticed that, but Jesus is, um, he's wanting to hear what's going on in their hearts right now. And so here is Jesus, and he says, what things? And they respond about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. So we're going to just hit the pause button there for a minute, and I want to explain something. This morning, basically my sermon is going to be very simple. I'm going to walk through a passage of Scripture with you. I think it's going to really bless you. I'm going to throw a few thoughts in there, and uh, we'll just see where it goes. And so I want you to get the picture real quick. They're walking down this road to Emmaus. They're saddened. They are upset. The one that they believed was going to be the Savior of the earth, the one that they have followed, that they have seen do signs, wonders, and miracles, they are now in deep grief because here he has now been uh, crucified and they are not aware of a resurrection at this point. And I want you to notice something they said here. This is interesting that they refer to Jesus as a prophet. Now I find that interesting because sometimes pain can bury revelation. So often pain buries the things that the Lord has already revealed to us. Reminds me a little bit of John the Baptist. If you're familiar with the story of John the Baptist, I, I love it that he went in advance of the Lord. It said that he was a forerunner and the Messiah was gonna come after him. And John knew that he was gonna go out in the wilderness and he was gonna baptize people. And when he was baptizing people, he was going to encounter the Son of God. And I always imagine John just, you know, baptizing one after another. And nope, not you, nope, not you. And uh, it says that he was out there baptizing and the scripture says that he saw Jesus coming from afar off and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And this is a major moment for John the Baptist. This was the moment that he had been looking for. This was the moment he had been building up to. Here he is, the Son of God is now walking towards him. And so John thinks that he's gonna get baptized. And Jesus comes and says, John, I want you to baptize me. You can imagine John was not, um, he was not okay with that. He said, I'm not even worthy to take the sandals off your feet, Jesus. But Jesus said, John, just permit it to be so. 
Jesus needed to be baptized. And so you remember the story. John baptizes Jesus. The heavens split open. This is, this is one of the ones that I want to see the video when I get to heaven. The heavens split open. The voice of God speaks. The earth rumbles. A dove comes down. And you hear God saying to his son, Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is a major moment. In this passage, John even recaps later on. He said, in that moment, I knew it was the Son of God. But here's the thing. If you fast forward years down the road, we find John is now in prison. And here's the same John that saw Jesus coming from afar off. And he looks and says, this is the Son of God. He watches the earth respond to this baptism. And now John is in prison. The disciples come to John to tell John to try to encourage John all the great things that are happening. And John makes this remark. He says this. Let's see if I can find it exactly. He basically says, is this the Son of God? John wants to send, his, send the disciples back to Jesus, and he says this. Ask Jesus this. Are you the expected one, or should we look for someone else? Do you see how pain, do you see how frustration, do you see how uh, just what had happened to John in his life had taken him from actually baptizing the Son of God all the way to the point of saying, go ask him if he is actually the expected one. I'd like to propose to you, we see the same thing with the disciples here. Did you notice that instead of calling him the Son of God, they called him a prophet? This is interesting because we already have passages where the disciples, I believe in Matthew 16 is one of them, where they acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. And now they're walking on the road to Emmaus. They're talking to the Son of God, and they don't even know it. And it's interesting that they refer to Jesus as a prophet. And I want you to catch this because their pain decreased their revelation of him. I believe that there's things that we understand that our faith increases revelation. But I would like to share with you that at the same time, our pain can actually decrease our revelation to him if we're not careful. We have to put these pains before the Lord. And here they are, the disciples, they're walking down the road and they say, there was this prophet. They downgraded Jesus to a prophet. And what I feel in my spirit for this morning for everyone that's watching this is I feel like there are some people that are feeling pain. You're feeling worn down. You're feeling frustrated. You're feeling fear. And there are things that God has spoken to you. There are dreams. There are visions that God has put within you that you have downgraded, that you have actually buried because of fear and because of pain and maybe even betrayal and suffering. And I believe with all my heart this morning that the Lord is going to open those up, just like he does in this road to Emmaus when he opens their eyes. There is going to be an opening for people watching this this morning. So let's get back in the story. Uh, let's jump in at verse 20 where we left off. It says that the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. I'm gonna read a few scriptures here. Uh, uh, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more is it's the, um, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't see his body. They came and told us that they had seen visions of angels who said he was alive. I, I find this funny also, just, just notice. They're saying that these women saw visions of angels. These women did not see visions of angels. These women saw angels. 
Can you hear the filter that's on their minds because they're throwing their little pity party? They're saying, well, some of the women said that they saw visions of angels. These women didn't come, these women didn't come and say, I saw a vision of angels. They saw angels. And so again, we see that pity, we see that pain, we see that suffering is putting a lens over their revelation of what they're able to see. Verse 24, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish are you? <laughs> Listen, this is, a, this, is, um, this is kind of funny and at the same time kind of rough that Jesus is looking at them and saying, guys, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began to explain to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. This is one of those passages that if I was ever able to jump into a scripture in the Bible, this would be the one that I would want to jump into. Jesus has all of a sudden, basically, he's put his teacher hat on. And what he begins to do with these disciples is incredible. He begins to teach them everything about himself that is in the scriptures. Now I want you to notice that it's in the scriptures, not limited to, we are not limited to, and I wanna just sit on this a minute because I think so often people think that God is limited to scriptures. In this passage, he's taught them everything that was in scriptures. He will never contradict scriptures, but he is not limited to scriptures. And he begins to just teach them. It says that all the way through all the prophets, he begins to take this massive puzzle in the Bible and he begins to put it together. I don't know if you've ever sat in the presence of a really good teacher. We've got quite a few that come through the gate, quite a few that attend the gate. And every time I'm in the presence of a teacher, my heart leaps because they have an ability to take what so often feels like a puzzle and put the pieces together. And when it begins to come together, you begin to feel something in your spirit begins to shift. Uh, my dear friend, Randall Worley, who uh, will be coming to Reformers Gathering at some point this year, he is one of the most amazing teachers you will ever get to be a part of uh, hearing his teachings. And when he speaks, the Lord speaks so clearly through Randall. And here Jesus himself doesn't get any better than this. Jesus is teaching them about Jesus. That's pretty amazing. And all of a sudden, he begins to drop all of this massive revelation on them. And the spirit of truth and revelation himself is teaching them. And these guys are just walking and talking. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. All right, now this is gonna be something we're gonna sit on a little bit. I'm gonna read that again. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on, I want you to notice this, as if he were going farther. I don't know if you've ever done that, you know, I've done that with my kids before, acted like I was going somewhere just to see, and they're like, Dad, come back over here. Jesus was not actually, I think according to the scripture, it doesn't seem like he actually had the intent to go to another village. It said that he kept walking as if he was going to go to the next village. Now we see something that correlates with this in Mark chapter six, verse 47. 
verse 47, later that night, the boat, this is referring to the disciples. Now, this is when Jesus had gone away to pray on the mountainside and his disciples had put their boat out to the water. And it says, verse 47, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. And when he was alone on land, he saw, he saw the disciples straining at the oars. Um, I'm pretty sure that Jesus was putting on his prophetic gifting at this point because I don't think from land he could see them all the way out in the middle of the lake struggling with their oars. And it said that he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. I want you to catch this. Jesus went out to them. His intentions was to go out to them. He was, this is the famous passage where Jesus is walking on the water. So it says, shortly after dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass by them. Now, wait a minute. Which one is it? Was Jesus going to them or was Jesus going to pass by them? <laughs> This is where I want to just land for a moment because there's some tremendous revelation that I believe is packed in here. Then it says, uh, he was about to pass by them, but then they saw him walking on the lake. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out because all they saw, they, they all saw him and they were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. What I want you to see in this passage, what I want you to see here is that Jesus was going out to them, but then the scripture says that Jesus almost passed by them. I don't think that Jesus was toying with the disciples, but it's important to ask the question, why was Jesus about to pass them on the water? Why, when they were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, did he act like he was going to walk to the next town? I don't know if anybody else has that question when reading this. Why did Jesus, although he was intending to stay with them, he was intending to meet them on the boat, did he act like he was gonna go past them? And I wanna just dig in a moment because this is a pretty hot topic in the church right now. There is an idea that's, and, and I, wanna, I wanna be careful, but I wanna be truthful. There's an idea right now that we as believers already have everything we need. Some would go as far as to say that we already all have salvation, we just don't know about it. But the idea would be that we already have everything we need, we just haven't become aware of it, and all that we need to do is become aware of it. I'd like to propose to you something similar because I do believe that the gospel is amazing. I believe that when Jesus died, he died for all. I believe that when Jesus took the stripes on his back, he took healing for all. It was provided for all. But I think to say that all already have it and are just unaware would be very, very inaccurate, especially in light of this passage, because we see something interesting. We see something in these passages that contradict that. I would like to present to you that we as believers have all access to Jesus. But passages like this make Jesus himself, remember, Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know about theology, what is theology? If you wanna learn about God, watch the life of Jesus, study the life of Jesus because he is perfect theology. And I want you to notice that he shows us that he knew that without a passionate pursuit of him, 
They could not steward the revelation he was about to give. There is a pursuit of Jesus that is being erased from Christianity right now. And I understand that there needs to be a healthy identity. I am one of the biggest guys that preach on who we are in Christ. We don't need more desperate sons and daughters. We don't need more people that are desperate for their father. I believe that Jesus is a good God. We don't have to be desperate for him. But at the same time, those who are not hungry are not healthy. And there is still an element of pursuit that has to be in the life of a believer. The idea that I don't have to pursue him, I just have to become aware of him, does not stand up to these passages. There was a pursuit that actually Jesus was in, he was provoking in them. When he was walking to them on the lake and he started to walk past them, he provoked them to pursue him. When Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus and he started to walk on to the next town, he provoked them to pursue him. Why? Because the pursuit is what actually prepares our hearts to withstand the response. We have to get this. You have to prepare yourself for the revelation that Jesus wants to give. We need to understand that there are some things that we just receive by inheritance. So let me break this down a little bit more. When we gave our lives to Jesus, when we, like that prodigal son, when we decided to turn around and come home, which I believe is very important to recognize, we have to come back home. And when that prodigal son came back home, he was welcomed into the family. He had all access just like us, we have all access to the kingdom. And I believe that we receive a very large portion of the kingdom purely through inheritance. You married in. When you came into relationship with Jesus, we are the bride, he is the groom. You married together into the kingdom and you received an inheritance. But I would challenge you this morning to recognize that we don't receive everything through inheritance, we still have to access things in the kingdom. And Jesus will provoke you to have you pursue him because there are certain things in your life that you are not ready to steward until your character has pursued him. If you go and you, and you study into the life of these generals that have hosted revivals, you go look at different people who have hosted moves of God all over the world, there is a common thing you will see with all of them. They all pursued him. Yes, some of them had terrible theology. Some of them had terrible doctrines. But there was a common theme that all of them pursued him. Why? Jesus will not just give away things to people that are not ready for them. And we have to be able to grow in our pursuit of him. One of the, my, one, a movie that came out many years ago that I've watched, uh, it was a powerful movie called The Pursuit of Happiness. And if you haven't seen it, um, have a box of tissues with you when you watch it, but it's a true story of a man and his son that, he was pursuing a life, a business in the stock exchange world. And he had, none of the, he had none of the accreditation that he needed. He had no qualifications. He had no credentials, so to say. But he had the ability. He knew it was within him. And I don't believe that God wants us to fall into a place where we strive. Striving is when you begin to believe that it's what you do that gets results. It's not about me. It's not about me. 
It's all about me pursuing him and it's about me creating something in my heart that is mature enough to be able to receive the answers that I'm going for. I do not believe that God wants us to be people who fall into the trap of striving and desperation. I don't believe in that. Not everything though can be revealed until the position of your heart is pursuing after him. I want you to catch that. There are many things in the kingdom of God that cannot be revealed to you until the position of your heart is pursuit. I believe that many things in the kingdom are received by relationship, by inheritance, by being sons and daughters, but there are things that are only received in the position of pursuit. Some things can only be taken by the violent act of faith and stewarded in a heart that has been in a passionate pursuit of Jesus. Please don't confuse pursuit with distance. I want you to make, you need to understand this. They were walking with Jesus. They were not, they were not far away from Jesus. When they were having this conversation, they were actually walking with Jesus. They were not distanced, but they still had to pursue him. The disciples were right next to him, but that wasn't good enough. There's something about this church that we have to get a hold of. Our position is in Christ. I am in him, he is in me. This is not about where we are in Christ. They were right there with Christ, but it wasn't good enough that they were right there with him. It was the position of their heart that had to be in pursuit. Proverbs chapter 25, verse two teaches us. It said it's, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. <laughs> this is a powerful, powerful scripture. God gets glory by burying it. God loves to play hide and seek with his kids. He loves to play hide and seek. He gets glory by putting that revelation there. The Bible says that he is the king of kings. He is the king of kings. Who are the kings that he is king over? You and I. We are a kingdom of priests. We are kings. When it says that it is to search out a matter is the glory of kings. God is the king of kings. We are the kings, you and I. He buries things, not to toy with us, but to release glory upon us. My wife and I, um, we work very closely together. Um, we are together the majority of every day of the week, almost all day. Matter of fact, I would, I would be bold enough to say that many couples probably could not survive the amount that my wife and I are together. And one of the things that you begin to learn is that when you are together all the time, because you are actually near more it requires more intentional pursuit. I am with my wife all the time. If I, if I didn't see her for days at a time, when we reconnected, there would be automatically just the fruit of the distance would result in me pursuing her. It's just natural. But what happens is, is because we are together all the time, it's very easy for us to get into a place where we're not pursuing each other. But remember, distance does not equal pursuit. 
Just because we're together all the time does not mean that we can operate without intentionally pursuing each other's heart because the closer we are, the more pursuit is required or it will end up being a stale marriage and our relationship will get stale. And what happens is, is if the enemy can convince us that we have everything we need and we no longer need to pursue each other, we end up with a stale, passionless marriage. And I see this with people, especially many couples that are even retired and they've been together and now they're retired and they're no longer working. The pursuit of each other has to stay there. The more you are with somebody, the more you have to pursue them. Now, I want you to think about that from what Jesus is showing us. He is provoking them to pursue him. There was no distance. When they were walking on the road to Emmaus, he was right next to them. They weren't spread out, but he wanted them to go after him. Now, let's get back in this passage in Luke and let's kind of put a bow on this thing in a minute. It says that Jesus began to walk away and they begged him to stay. I love how Jesus concealed his identity, his identity in this whole process. They have absolutely no idea who they're talking to. You cannot deny that Jesus has an incredibly uh, just funny sense of humor when you read this. Verse 29, and it says that, um, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is, nearing, it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, oh, this is so good. He took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And it began and he began to give it to them. Instantly, their eyes were open and they recognized it was him and he disappeared from their sight. This is, this is really funny if you ask me. These guys have been walking. It had to have been a really long walk. He has been teaching them. He has been revealing incredible revelation to them. He has concealed his identity. These guys are listening to him. They are in awe of what he has to stay. They beg him to stay. He comes, he sits at their table. He feeds them, he serves them bread. And the moment that their eyes are open, he disappears. Can you just get into the, the disciples right there? They're like, Whoa, wait, wait, whoa, that was him. I mean, <laughs> that's just, that's pretty funny. Verse 32, they asked each other, and I want you to catch this. This is the heart of everything I'm getting towards this morning. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning? I don't know about you, but there are times that things happen that often for us as believers, we don't realize how major it was until after it's already happened. We see that even with the passage. I don't know if you remember Jacob's Ladder. If you go to this church, there's a, the, the reason we're called the gate. One of the main reasons is from the passage about Jacob's Ladder. Here we have Jacob and he's actually running for his life and he goes and he lays down. The Bible says he pulls a rock up and puts his head on it for a pillow. Don't ask me why he did that. I've never understood. He goes to sleep. He has this incredible encounter where he sees a ladder that is going from the heavens to the earth. And he says that angels are ascending and descending. Something to catch there that most people miss. Don't you find it interesting that the angels were going up and coming back down? I think most of us think angels come down and then they go back up and they stay in heaven. 
I've, I just find it interesting that this passage says that the angels were ascending and then they were descending. And so here he is. He has this incredible encounter with the Lord. And then this is where he says, this place, I'm calling this place Bethel, the house of God. Just a note, um, what is he talking about? There was no church building there. He was talking about earth. I'm calling this place Bethel, the house of God. And then Jacob wakes up and he makes this statement. He says, whoa, he says, I didn't even, he says, God is here and I didn't even know it. I feel like the same thing is happening with these disciples. They walked with Jesus, he reveals himself to them and they say, whoa, why didn't we catch it? And, and there's something that we have to understand that the Lord is trying to show us here. The disciples were looking for something. Their eyes though were, they were determining what they were seeing based on what they were hearing and based on what they were seeing. But they realized after Jesus had gone, they said, did not our hearts burn? What's the point? Sometimes you have to recognize God by the burning of your heart. Sometimes you have to recognize what you're feeling. I can't tell you how many times people miss him. It, it, it's, it's so hard for me because I can be in a service in this room almost every week and people are encountering the presence of the Lord and they're encountering God and you look around and, and someone's sitting and just zooming through Instagram and, and just like here, it's like he was there and I didn't even know it and I, I have to ask myself, how many times do we completely miss what God is doing because we're too busy, we're too distracted? And, and please hear me, I am, I am all grace. There's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation, but I would challenge you, what is it that will often take your distraction away from him that you say, I didn't even know he was there? How many moments is there that we weren't pursuing him and he was right there? There's something in the kingdom of God that requires attention, focus, and pursuit. And that is the process your heart has to go through to be able to carry the weight of the revelation the Lord wants to give you. Let me just throw one more thing on the table and I'll wrap this up. The disciples said, they said, we didn't even know that was him. We didn't even know that was Jesus. I wonder how often people, including myself, we miss what God is inviting us to because in our minds it doesn't look like the Jesus that we've created. I wanna encourage you. There was one phrase in this whole scripture and this is what I'm, I'm, I'm calling my, my sermon, it's just burning hearts. They said, we're not our hearts burning within us while you talk to us. Something I have learned over the years is I can't always rely on my intelligence to reveal him. I can't always rely on my understanding to reveal him. I, I, there's one thing I can rely on. When he is in the room, my heart burns for him. When someone is speaking about him and I know he's there, my heart burns for him. I have sat down in rooms with uh, apostles and prophets and teachers and you, you call it pastors, evangelists and I have heard them speak and I have so many times been in a room where they were sharing things that contradicted everything that I thought about Jesus and everything in me wanted to say that's not true 
But there was one problem. My heart burned for him. We have to learn to recognize when our hearts burn for him. We can't filter things through our understanding. We have to filter everything through, did my heart burn? I don't believe that Jesus will ever attach himself to something that contradicts the word of God. People will challenge that and say, well, if you can't point it out in the Bible, then I don't believe it's him. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I believe that he will never contradict his word, but at the same time, I believe that he is too great to ever be confined to anything. And there's some times where he reveals himself to us in ways where I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me but I know that my heart is burning for him. Because when you encounter the resurrected one, the normal response is that your heart will burn. You can't get close to fire without feeling heat. It says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 12, it said that Jesus' eyes, they burn like fire. I love it in the, contra- in, the, in the idea of that the eyes are the heart to the soul. Jesus, when you look at his eyes, his eyes burn burn like flames. Why? Because his spirit is fire. You can't stand close to fire and not feel it. You always feel it. And so this morning, I just want to present to you, I feel a few different things that the Lord wants to release over this message. Number one is that there are a lot of people on here that your pain, that the situations that you've been through, you have let pain, you've let betrayals, you've let hurt, you've let different things in life diminish your revelation of him. Just like John the Baptist knew, he watched heaven, he watched God himself say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And pain took him all the way to the place where he said, I don't even know if it's, he's the son of God anymore. It's just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They had spent years ministering with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, when they're sharing to Jesus, they don't know it. They say, well, there's this prophet. What happened? Their pain diminished their revelation of him. I feel like there's a lot of people that, even I feel the Lord just highlighted in my spirit, especially in the year 2019, was filled with pain for you. And what has happened is it's put a filter over your eyes. And it's put, not really your eyes, more like the eyes of your spirit. And you have had a filter put over you and it's beginning to filter the revelation that God gave you. And all of a sudden you begin to think things are lesser. And this morning he's gonna take that off. How? You're gonna feel him burn. You're gonna feel the burn within your hearts. And so I'm gonna pray over you right now over this. And I'm telling you, this is gonna release a passionate, get ready because you're gonna wake up at night. You're gonna wake up in the morning. You're you're going to, throughout the day, you are going to be so hungry for the Lord after this activates in your heart because he needs you to have your heart positioned in pursuit to be able to receive this new revelation of him. He had to provoke them to pursuit. They could not receive the revelation of who he was unless they pursued him. He would never have sat down at that table and broke bread with them unless they had pursued him. So I'm gonna pray over you. Father, I thank you so much this morning, Lord, for what you're speaking. I thank you for the revelation that is here. I thank you for the hearts that I can feel that are being challenged by your word this morning, God. And Lord, I pray that today, Father, that those that have roots and have just pain and betrayal and hurt that is in their heart right now, I pray that, Lord, that you would come in and by your goodness and your grace and your mercy, that you would rip those out of their life right now. I pray that they would begin to take the filters off the eyes of their spirit that sees you 
you and the things that you've shown them. There are people that had dreams of doing great things for you. There are people that I can even feel it. Like there are some of you that you dreamed about being a missionary and through years of hurt and pain, you have settled and said, I'm not gonna do that. There are people that you dreamed and I mean dreamed as in God gave you the dream that in your heart for him, you dreamed about being in this realm of ministering for the Father. And over years and years of pain and hurt, it's taken it away from you. And I'm telling you, he's giving that back. But it requires something from you. This one takes a violent act of faith that says, I will get up, I will pursue him, I will pursue him all day, I will set my heart on him, and I will not stop pursuing him. Lord, I pray over those that um, the gate is their home church, Lord. I pray that you would release the burning fire of passion in their hearts, just as the disciples said, didn't our hearts burn when he was talking? Why didn't we notice our hearts were burning? Lord, I pray that we would be able to take our attention and our focus and be able to take it off all the things that are pulling on it, and we would notice when our heart burns. Because if we can catch the moment where a heart burns, we can catch the revelation that comes with it. Father, I pray for healing for everybody watching this. I pray that you would touch them. I believe, Lord, that all infirmity has to go, all sickness has to go, all viruses have to go, all depression and oppression and disease has to go. And I release healing over your people in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, guys, bless you. I miss you again. Can't wait to see you. And um, let's just pursue the Lord. Blessings.